You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY Podcast on Apple Podcasts. We hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Ray. Appreciate you sharing that with us. Good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. Today we are wrapping up our series that we've been in for the last several weeks from the book of Nehemiah. Before we jump into, the, into the, the text and the message this morning, I want to tell you about what's coming up over the next several weeks. Uh, beginning next week, we'll be uh, beginning a brand new series called X Marks the Spot. And so through the month of September, we'll emphasize that discipleship is a lifelong journey. And we all understand that, but it's also, we also understand that it's easy to get sidetracked and get distracted and, and sometimes veer off uh, from, from that path. And so uh, over the next several weeks, we're going to we're going to challenge ourselves to keep our gaze fixed on Jesus or to keep our gaze fixed on the X that marks our spot. Um, and so over the next several weeks, we're going to take a closer look at what it means to follow Him and to be united with Him and to be commissioned by Him and just to be more like Him. And so through, the, through that series, we're going, to, we're going to see that being a faithful disciple is not just about the steps that we take toward Jesus, but it's more about uncovering the person that is behind it all who who Jesus really is and so I'm excited for that series that's coming up in the next few weeks for the month of September and then in the month of October uh, we're going to be in a sermon series that I'm really looking forward to and I think we'll have a lot of fun with called Monsters Inc. Anybody ever seen the movie Monsters Inc.? Like if you've got kids, grandkids, you should have seen it. It's one of my favorite movies, Mike and Scully. Uh, they're, they're great. And uh, we're going to be talking about Monsters, Inc. as we move toward the Halloween season. We're going to talk about the monsters that we face in our life, like fear and guilt. And we're going to see what God has to, God's Word has to say about that and how we can overcome those monsters in our lives. And I've even got a, a Scully uh, from, from the movie. I've got a Scully Halloween costume. I might even wear that one Sunday to preach in. No, it'll be getting cooler by then. That, that costume's really hot, so uh, it'll be getting cooler by then, so we'll see. But all of that is to come. Today, as I said, we're finishing our trek through the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and flip over to Nehemiah chapter 13, the very last uh, chapter in the book of Nehemiah. That's where we're going to land at today. And as you're flipping over, let's recap real quickly what has happened so far. So we, we're introduced to Nehemiah, and what we immediately find out is that he is an important person in the king of Persia's administration, in Artaxerxes' administration. He's the cupbearer to the king, which really just means that he gets to taste all the food and, and drink all of the wine that the king is, is partaking in. And, and the king really trusts his opinion. In fact, the king's life rests in Nehemiah's opinion on whether or not this is good food or, or good drink, whether it's been poisoned or not. And so Nehemiah is an important person in the, in the cabinet, in the administration of the king of Persia someone that has gained the trust of the king but he's an Israelite he, he's living there in exile in, in Persia hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem from from his homeland and while he's there he gets a report from those who have returned from Jerusalem those who have left Babylon and gone back to Jerusalem they've been released from captivity he gets a report that things in the city of Jerusalem are not good in fact the walls are down and the gates are burned and the people in the city are disgraced and in much distress. And so when Nehemiah gets this report, he, for several months he weeps and he mourns and he fasts and then he prays about what God would have him to do. And then he decides to go before the king and he asks the king for permission to return home to Jerusalem so that he can rebuild the walls there in that city to, to give his people some peace of mind. 
And so the king grants him this request, and when, he, and when he returns to Jerusalem, he makes the long trek there, and when he gets there, he immediately faces opposition. There are people that, for whatever reason, do not want these city walls rebuilt, and so they, they oppose Nehemiah, which should just be a reminder to us that even if you're right in the middle of God's will, you're right in the center of God's will, you're doing exactly what, what it is that God has called you to do, you can expect opposition because there's an enemy out there that does not want to see God's will prevail, and that enemy is Satan. So we should expect opposition. He overcomes the opposition, though, and he begins, to, begins construction to rebuild the wall. And in 52 days, the wall is complete. And we saw in Nehemiah chapter 3 a list of the people who were a part of that construction. And, and while nobody had the title professional wall builder, everybody participated, which again should just be a reminder to us that building up the kingdom of God is a, is a team sport. Everybody has a role. Everybody has a job. Everybody has a ministry in the kingdom of God. Everybody gets to participate. It's an all-skate. If you grew up going to a skating rink, you know that term. It's an all skate everybody is involved in building the kingdom of God and then the wall was finished and people began to return to life as normal and there was something missing from that from that sense of normalcy and so part of part of what they did was they had Ezra bring out the the scrolls and they began to reconnect with with God and so Ezra uh, brought out the scrolls of the law and he, he began reading from daylight till noon remember you all again think I have long sermons but he, he read from the scrolls from daylight till noon for several days and, and the people began to have their identity as God's chosen people renewed and we ended last week by talking about our own identity in God and we saw what God says about us and, and to answer the question that Ray just sang about who am I we, we answered that question we saw who God says that we are God says that we are children of his that we are that we are wise and that we are restored that we're a brand new creation in Christ that we are chosen and holy and blameless that we are his masterpiece don't miss that 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 God created you and said you are good not not just good but you are very good you are his masterpiece that we are loved by God and that we are made complete through the grace and mercy of Jesus if you want to know who you are that's who you are and for the Israelites knowing who they were and God led them to reconciliation and to satisfaction and when we know who we are when we know who we are in Christ it leads us to a life that we're able to live fully in freedom to live out the plan that God has for our lives. So many times we get caught up in, in, in the labels and the distractions that other people might have for us and we can't live out fully who uh, God's plan for us because we're so worried about all the other names that we might have, all the other things that people might put on us. But when we know that that's who we are, when we know that that's who we are in Christ, we can live out the, in, in freedom the plan that God has for our lives. And so that gets us to the end of the book of Nehemiah. And in chapter 12, if, if you flip back a page in your Bible, or maybe it's on just the left-hand side of the page, uh, you'll see that they have a dedication for the rebuilding of the walls. Anytime that there was a structure completed, and we still do this today in our culture, when there's a structure completed, we have a dedication for it. I'm sure that when this building was finished 10 years ago, there was a day set aside for the dedication of this building, that it was going to be used in the service of God's kingdom. And so they have a dedication for the walls there that they've rebuilt. And, and it's a big celebration, and people are marching around the walls, and it's a good time. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that they marched in opposite directions. All the people, they marched around the city walls in opposite directions, and the meeting point in the middle was God's temple. That's a, good, that, that's a good thing, right? That was a good plan. That we're going we're gonna to celebrate all that we've done. We're going to go all the way around. And when we get in the middle 
We're going to go and we're going to celebrate that God has restored His people, that God has restored who we are in Him. We're going to meet in the temple. In fact, it's a, it's a fantastic day of celebrating. All, everybody got in, in, involved in it. It's, the Scripture says that men and women and children were all celebrating. In fact, Nehemiah 12.43 says the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away, probably a sound that hadn't been heard in a long, long time. The sound of rejoicing could be heard far away. And if the book of Nehemiah ended right there, if that's where the story ended, this would be a great story, wouldn't it? The temple's been rebuilt, the people have been restored to the law, the walls have been rebuilt, everything is good. They're, they're celebrating, it's, life is good, right? Unfortunately, though, that's not where the story ends. In fact, the story continues and it comes to rather a, an anticlimactic end, if you will. And as we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 13 today, we're going to discover that many of the accomplishments that they had, that they were celebrating, in just a short amount of time, have now been neglected. Let me give you an example. Uh, first, the work of Zerubbabel. He had, he had worked to, to rebuild the temple, and now that, that work has become neglected. Eliashib, one of the priests, he, he grants Tobiah, who was an Ammonite, who was one of the people that opposed Nehemiah. He opposed God's people in the, the rebuilding of the wall. He grants Tobiah the personal use of one of the large storehouses that was meant to hold the offerings and, and, the, and the, the tithes of Israel. Now, when we read through that, and if you read through it in chapter 13, it doesn't sound like such a big deal. Okay, what's the big deal? We let people use our building all the time. People come in and use different rooms in our building, and, and everything's fine. So what's the big deal with having Tobiah use one of, the building, one of the rooms? Well, first of all, it's a big deal because Tobiah was an Ammonite, a person who did not worship God, who was greatly opposed to God and the construction of the wall. And now... He didn't get just any room. He gets the treasury room, basically. He's, he gets the treasury room for his own personal office. Now, I still continue to believe that God can and God does use anyone in any situation for his glory. But we should be wise stewards of the resources that God has given us, right? We should be wise stewards. And so what, what Eliashib did here was basically would be the equivalent of us putting an atheist or uh, someone else who was opposed to God from some other religious group basically putting them in charge of our funds, making them the treasurer of our church and saying, okay, you get this room for your office and you, you have access to all the money and you have access to, to all of our funds and, and you're in charge. It doesn't sound like a very good idea, does it? In fact, it sounds like a terrible idea. We, we, would, we would be quick to point out that, hey, things are probably not going to work out real long, real well for you right here. And so this happened while Nehemiah had returned to Persia. This, uh, uh, some time has passed between chapter 12 and chapter 13. And Nehemiah had told the king of Persia, hey, when we get the, the walls rebuilt, I'll come back. And so he kept his word and he goes back. But this is what he, he, he gets this report. And here's what it says, Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 7 and 9. It says, here I learned about the evil thing that Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. He doesn't just say it was a bad thing or a foolish thing. He says it was an evil thing. It was an evil thing to do this. He says, I was greatly displeased and threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. He's come back and now he's cleaning house. He says, I gave orders to purify the room and then I put, put them into the equip, excuse me, then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. So Nehemiah gets this report. He hears about what's going on, and he comes back, and he, he says, Tobiah, you're out, buddy. You're, you're not going to keep your office in here anymore. And so he cleans house. He throws all of Tobiah's stuff outside, and he gives orders to purify the room. Think of it this way. Um, think, you can think 
picture in your mind. Husband stays out too late one night and comes home, and wife has thrown all of his clothes out on the front yard, right? That's what's happened here. Nehemiah has come in, and he has cleaned house. He said, Tobiah, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here anymore. You're out. You're done. And verse 10 tells us why this was a bad thing, why this was not a good thing, for, especially for the Levites, and what happens when we put the wrong people in charge. Verse 10 says, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. And that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. The Levites were responsible for conducting the worship services, for for having the worship services there in the temple. And and they were to be paid. They were to be paid through the tithes and offerings and the the incense and that kind of stuff that that, um, the people brought to the temple. And now Tobiah is in charge of where they store all of that. So guess what happens? Either Tobiah starts skimming off the top a little bit. Or he just doesn't pay them. He, he doesn't give them access to the funds. And so the, the Levites, they have to go back to their own fields because, right, you got, you got to eat, right? People got to eat. And so they, ha- they have to find a way to provide for their, themselves and their families. And so they have to leave the work of the temple. They have to leave the Lord's work and go out and, do, and attend to their own fields. And so Nehemiah asked a question. He says, I rebuked the officials and I asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Why is the house of God neglected? Boy, that's a powerful question. It's an important question for for people who worshipped under a temple system like they did, where where the temple represented the presence of God. It's where God lived. And so this is a huge question with huge ramifications. Why have you neglected the temple? What he's basically saying is, why are you neglecting God? This is an indication that for all the renewal that had previously taken place, all the good that had, had been done, that now backsliding has, has taken over. Back, backsliding seems to be more prevalent now, and people are neglecting the work of the Lord. And so here's why that question is still important to us. Because we don't worship under a temple system, do we? we this building here does not represent where God lives. This, this place isn't any holier than any other place, even as much as we might think that it is. This is a special place because this is where we gather as brothers and sisters in Christ to worship, but this is just a building. It's just four walls. And God was never intended to be bound by four walls. In fact, the only reason there was a temple system in place in the Old Testament was because the Israelites begged for it. God gave them a temple system to appease them. They looked at all the other foreign nations and and all the false gods, and they said, hey, all of their, their gods have places of worship. All of their gods have a building, and that's where their God lives. And God said, I don't need one of those. But they kept on and they kept on and they kept on just like they kept on asking for a king until God finally, finally gave in and gave them a temple system. But God was never, God never intended to be bound by four walls. And, and he certainly is not bound by four walls today. In fact, the New Testament teaches us that God lives within each believer. That, that Paul, the Apostle Paul, he declares that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and our, our lives our, our worship, our lives are our sacrifices to God. And yet, if, if that's the case, how often do we find ourselves, though, putting more things in front of our worship and our service to God? We, we, we put other things in place, of, in place of God. But yet, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And, and God, is, the way that we live our lives is, is our sacrifice to God. And so, I guess what I'm asking is how... How good is our sacrifice? How, is, it, is it one of those things that's a pleasing smell to the Lord or, or does he look at it kind of like he did Abel's sacrifice and he said, no, 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 that's no good. 
That's no good. Far too often it seems that as people get busier, it's God that gets cut out of the calendar and, and out of the schedule. When work begins to demand more, and when our kids' schedules have us running all over creation for, for ball tournaments and band competitions and track meets and, and school events, it seems that worship is all of a sudden is what gets squeezed out of our priorities. And so please hear, please hear what I'm saying in this, because I am not the preacher that thinks that you have to be in church every Sunday and you have to have perfect attendance in, in Sunday school and that's the only way you're getting into heaven is if you have you know, perfect attendance. Now, I, I understand there are going to be times when people are gone and when people have other things. But what happens when we deprioritize worship? Why, wh- what happens in our lives when we do that? And, and I think here's the reason we do that. Because we, we understand that God will always be here waiting for us, Right? God will always take us back, right? There's never a moment where, where we can say, okay, God, I'm going to do all of this stuff, and then I'm going to come back to you, and, and God, you're just going to have, going to have to be okay with that. That's kind of how we treat God, isn't it? That, that He's always going to be there waiting for us, and so we can put other things in place, of God, in place of the worship of God because we know that God will be waiting for us when we come back. And yet, something about that, when we, when we even verbalize that, just doesn't sound right, does it? What did the author of Hebrews say? He said, don't get in the habit of forsaking the gathering together. Adam's version of that is, don't be a backslider. That's what he's saying. Don't don't be a backslider. Why? Because when we give up gathering together with other believers, we miss out on the encouragement and the inspiration that God provides to to us from those around us. We we gather together to worship corporately because it's, it's a source of strength. It's a source of encouragement. It's a source of inspiration for us to get through the through the rest of the week there's the reason why we gather on sunday the first day of the week it's because everything that comes after this this is what has to fuel us to get us through this week all right because when when today ends guess what follows monday and for most of us that means going back to work right except for pam that it means going back to work and so there's, there's a lot of challenges that we have to face and, and we have to, that we need the strength to overcome. And, and we get that by being in worship with our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Again, I'm not... And, and let me just ask this question. Maybe it's a question you've never thought about. But if we're not willing to make God our priority, if we're not willing to make God the first priority, then why, why would we think that God should make us a priority? I mean, we, we always kind of think, in, in our minds, we're always the most important person in our own mind, right? So we think that we ought to be the most important person to God. But if we're not willing to make Him a priority, then why should He make us a priority? And I'm not suggesting that God, God thinks that way or God even, even operates that way. But how often do we find ourselves thinking, you know, things just aren't going right in our world. Whatever it is, things are just out of whack. They're out of balance. It's chaos. And then we think, okay, you know what I'm going to do to fix this? I'm, I'm going to get back with the Lord. I'm going to, I'm going to emphasize my relationship with the Lord. And we, we put that back as a priority. And then as soon as we do that, as soon as we turn back to the Lord, it seems like all of a sudden everything seems to kind of right itself, that, that the ship finally gets back on course. And, and I'm not suggesting that church attendance is, is some magical key that, that makes everything right in our universe. But I do believe that the more you find prioritizing yourself being with the Lord, the more you find the strength to overcome the challenges that life throws at you. The more important your relationship is with the Lord, the stronger your relationship is with the Lord, and the, the more uh, courage and strength you have to get through all of the things that, God throw, that, that the world throws at us. So let me ask 
a version of the question that Nehemiah asked. He asked, why is the house of God being neglected? Let me just ask us. Are we neglecting God? Are we neglecting God? And if the answer to that question is yes, then man, we, we got to make some adjustments right away, right? Like immediately. This can't wait till tomorrow. It can't, it can't even wait till after lunch. We need, to, we need to fix that right now. Now that wasn't the only thing that was going on with the people of Israel. Uh, there, had been, there were some other things. Similarly, Ezra's work on restoring the people to the word of God and obeying the law had been neglected. Remember, Ezra brought out the scrolls and he read from them and now it seems like that was being neglected. Uh, Nehemiah uh, observed once he returned that the people were once again breaking the Sabbath. Many Israelites were working on, on the Sabbath day. They were creating wine. and They had a little modern-day farmer's market going on where they were, were selling stuff. They were bringing in their, their grain and, and their produce to Jerusalem to sell, and they were uh, meeting merchants from foreign lands, and they were bringing in fish and all sorts of things to sell on the Sabbath day. And this was, this was a, a violation of the law, but also a violation of the oath that people had sworn to Nehemiah. Now, again, when we read through that, it's in, in verses 15 and 16, by the way. When we read through that, we go, okay, well, what's the big deal? They worked on Saturday. And we think, oh, well, lots of people work on Saturday. Lots of people work on Sunday now but because we don't observe the Sabbath anymore. But Sunday's our day, and so people have to work on Sunday. So what's the big deal? Well, it's not about whether you work on Saturday or whether you work on Sunday. This was a big deal because God had specifically said to the people of Israel, keep the Sabbath, and they said, okay. You want us to keep the Sabbath, we'll keep it. They made a vow, they made a commitment to, to keep the Sabbath. It, so, so it wasn't about what, what they were actually doing. It was, about, it, it was about that they had broken God's specific law, God's specific command. When God speaks, when he says something to an issue, he means what he says. He said, keep the Sabbath day. And they said, okay, we agree, we'll do that. And then they didn't. Israel had made vows to God about these things. So ultimately, this again comes down to priorities. The Israelites had prioritized making money and success over their commitment to God. And so again, what, what's our priority? Is it, is it the worldly things? Is it worldly possessions? Is it making enough money? Is it, is it our jobs? Is it our families? Is it whatever? If that takes the place in, in God's spot, which is number one, then, then we've got to adjust that. Nehemiah, he actually calls, he calls the actions of the Israelite people wicked. He says, you have done something wicked. That's a strong word, isn't it? But, but when we pri prioritize anything else over God's place in our life, then we can only use one word to describe our actions. And it's the same word Nehemiah used, wicked. And when we find ourselves in that situation where, where, there's only, where, where we have prioritized things other than God, there's only one thing we can do, and that's to repent, to seek out God's forgiveness and His grace and His mercy, and to and restore God to His proper position in our lives, which is first. Now, there might be some of you here this morning, and, and you're hearing this, and you're thinking, well, well I, Adam, I agree. Anything that takes the place of God as first priority is, is, is sinful, and, and I'm so glad that that's not me like I am. I'm in worship every week. I'm, I'm in Sunday school every week. I have all of the books of the Bible memorized like I, I am. I am right in the center of God's will. I am doing everything I'm supposed to do. If, if that's you, well, first of all, praise God for that because we need people like you to, that we can be encouraged by and, and draw as a source of inspiration. But, but a word of caution and a lesson from Nehemiah. When you seem to be the, one, the only one who's doing right or maybe the primary person doing right, 
and, and, and you think like, I, I am just, I'm just killing it with all the, all the good that I'm doing. There's a tendency to become arrogant and self-righteous. And that sin, and it is sinful, that sin can be just as deadly as any other sin. When, when, we, when uh, we become so self-righteous, God usually had a way of dealing with self-righteous people. It, it was by humbling them. And if we don't like to be humbled because it's not a pleasant experience, right? It's, it's usually a painful experience. It's an embarrassing experience. And so just a word of caution. If, if you're the one that's, primary, that's primarily doing right, don't become so arrogant and self-righteous that you need to be humbled. And, and I hate to even say this, but, but it appears that Nehemiah began to, to become that way, that he, he maybe struggled with arrogance and self-righteousness because you notice how he, he begins to lead the people differently. He, he's leading them differently than he did at the beginning of the story. Uh, and, and I don't want to judge Nehemiah, but from reading the text, it appears that Nehemiah had, had become angry and frustrated with the people and with their circumstances. Throughout the early part of the story, Nehemiah would, would pray and he would ask God for, for his favor upon the Israelites and he would, he would go through long seasons of fasting and praying and, and he would basically just beg God on behalf of the Israelite people. But in the last part of the book of Nehemiah, this final chapter, there are three, three prayers recorded from Nehemiah. Here they are, verse 14. Nehemiah says, Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. The second prayer, verse 22, he says, Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. And then in verse 31, the last verse, a very short prayer, he says, Remember me with favor, my God. What do all three of those prayers center around? Yeah, they center around him, Nehemiah. All of those center, center on Nehemiah asking God to remember him. He's no longer asking God to, to remember the Israelite people, the nation. He's asking God to specifically remember him and what he has done. And when he first arrived in Jerusalem, Nehemiah, he enlisted the help of, of others in, in the shared vision of rebuilding the wall. And now it seems that there's been a change in, in approach. Now Nehemiah seems more on on confrontation to deal with people you know the apex of this occurs in verses 13 through 27 i'm, I'm going to read you verse 25 nehemiah says i rebuked them and called curses down on them i beat some of the men and i pulled out their hair nehemiah notices that the israelites have once again gone to to begin to intermarry with non-israelites and so nehemiah goes to extreme measures it says you know he beat them and, and he pulled out their hair now I've, I've been in church long enough to, to see some, some deacons get into it at board meetings. But I've never seen a preacher grab somebody and pull out their hair. And, I mean, I'm not saying that we should start that. But, but I mean, it, it kind of almost looks like it happened to me. But, but Nehemiah goes from, from leading them and praying for them to, to now... You know, it's violent coercion to the law of God. He confronts the violators and he calls down curses on them and he, he beats them, pulls out their hair, he makes them swear an oath into the, in the name of God. Not because they wanted to, not because they wanted to faithfully follow God, but because they were afraid of getting their, their hair pulled out. So, so they, they, they go into this, you know, they're, they're following out of fear now. One might wonder what the lesson and the purpose of this last chapter that ends so anticlimactic is. 
Well, the Nehemiah story begins with great hope. It, it begins with the return of Israel from exile and, and rebuilding the temple from, of Jerusalem and, and, and the walls of Jerusalem. But the story ends with great disappointment. The temple is neglected. The Sabbath is dishonored. The law of God is ignored. The book of Nehemiah is a reminder to us that no matter how much social and political reform come, we bring about, something is still missing for, for true and lasting change to occur. There's a couple things I want to point out, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. First, the story points forward to the hope of, of the prophets that Jeremiah and Ezekiel declared that God would do. Uh, Jeremiah 31 tells us that God will, will bring about a new covenant, unlike the previous covenant, unlike the covenant that the Israelites were under, where, that they had broken so many times. But this new covenant that Jeremiah foretells about will involve God writing law, not on scrolls, but in our hearts. Ezekiel foretells a day that, that where God will give us a new heart and He'll put His Spirit within us. This new covenant, this new heart, and, and God's Spirit in us are fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus. That's what the gospel is all about, that, that, that God saw that we needed something new, that we needed something better than, than what the Israelites had. And so He provided Jesus for us. And so for us, our confidence and our hope are in God. God is the one who, who says, Paul writes in Philippians 1.6, he says, uh, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There's a work that's taking place in our lives, a work that we have to do, and, he, and God will sustain us and carry us through to that until He returns. Which brings us to the second realization, that the ultimate rebuilding and restoration will only occur when Jesus returns a second time to establish His eternal kingdom. Ultimately, people will fail you and they will disappoint you. But Jesus never fails, and Jesus never disappoints. And because of that, our hope is in Him and in His return. What did Jesus tell the, the disciples? He said, I'm, I'm leaving here, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when it is finished, when it's ready, I will come back and get you again. Most of us have lived long enough to know that people disappoint us. We've all, we've all been disappointed by people. We've all been hurt by people. People will disappoint us and will fail you, but Jesus... Jesus never fails. Jesus never disappoints. And because he's coming back to take us home with him, we have a hope that no other group of people have. We have a hope that we can live in eternity in heaven with him. And that's a great hope. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you. And uh, we are so thankful for the hope that we find in Jesus. Father, we, we know that we often disappoint each other, that we often disappoint you, that we often fall short of your standard. But Father, help us to, help us just to strive to do better, to, to love you more, to, to seek you out more, to put you first in our lives in everything that we do, that you would take first place, not, not second, not third, not anything else, but that you would take first place in our lives, that you would be our, our top priority. And Father, when we do that, we know that our relationship with you will be strengthened, that, and, and because of that, there, there's a chance that other people will, will know about you because they see our, our lives as living sacrifices to you. Father, we want to honor you in all that we do, and when we fall short of that, Father, we just beg for your forgiveness. Father, we love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.